So, uh, we've been working through this series, The Fruit of the Spirit. And uh, today's the last day. We've been five weeks in it. We're going to look the last two fruit this morning. Gentleness and self-control. And if you remember, what I've been saying every week is that there's nine fruit of the Spirit, and they're grouped together kind of loosely, but basically in three different categories. The first three are inward focus. They kind of look at us and, and uh, our heart and how we see the world and the world around us. And the second group of three are outward focused and on other people. And the last three are really upward focused, our relationship with God and how it is that we conduct ourselves in the world. And so we're looking at gentleness and self-control. That might be two of the most difficult of all of the fruit to consistently live. Gentleness and self-control. Tough to carry out every day in our daily lives. In fact, so much so that we can't do it on our own. Outside of the Holy Spirit in us, you can't do it. I can't do it. It just isn't possible. Sadly, in this world that we live in today, those two words, gentleness and self-control, almost sound like we took them out of, a, of an old novel or something from the 17 or 1800s when the world was a different place. But that's not where they come from. They actually come from a much older book. They, they come from a book that's thousands of years old, and it's still vitally relevant today. They come from the Bible. Gentleness and self-control, those are not new ideas, but like all the other fruit of the Spirit, the only way that we can have them in a way that reflects the character of God is through the Holy Spirit in us. So we're going to take some time and we're going to talk about gentleness and self-control. All of those words, all of them, that are in the fruit of the Spirit, should describe our character as we reflect God in us. You remember we talked about goodness being godliness. And the fruit of the Spirit, that's really what they're all about. And maybe you're wondering, why in the world have you spent five weeks, Pastor, talking on the fruit of the Spirit? Five, you could have handled it one Sunday. None of them are difficult words. Quite simply, the, the fruit of the Spirit, and this cannot be said enough, the fruit of the Spirit are the visible evidence of God in us, and there should be a clear and distinct difference between who we are in Christ and people who are of the world. And it isn't that we can be a great example for Jesus or a great example for God on our own. We can't do it on our own. It is only the Holy Spirit in us that makes that possible. When we talk about being in Christ, that's a gift from the Holy Spirit. That's because of something God did for us in Jesus. And so the fruit of the Spirit are the difference between those who are in Christ and those who are of the world. That doesn't mean that the people of the world can't be kind. They can. doesn't mean they, can have some amount, they can't have some amount of peace or joy in their life or any of the other fruit of the Spirit. They can. But they can't have them to the depth and to the degree and with the purpose that we're given the fruit of the Spirit through the Holy Spirit. All of those things, then, are a reflection of who we are. They're a matter of what we say, because what we say matters. It's how we say what we say, how we don't say things that maybe we're thinking. And the things that we do and choose not to do are all a reflection of what we believe. Second Corinthians, Paul says this in Second Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. You're not the same person. When you submit your life to Jesus and you're filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit begins to slowly change how you think and, and how you see the world and how you love people, 
But we have to exercise that. We have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. The old us is gone, and there's a new us. And so sometimes people say, well, I I don't really feel that. I I don't think I've changed that much. God is doing His part, but we have to cooperate with God. Paul goes on in verse 20 there, and he says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. God is making His appeal through us. God shows Himself to the people of the world through you and I. We are God's representative as Christians. What we say and don't say, what we do and don't do, what we think and don't think, and how we treat and love the people around us, all the time, every moment of every day, we're representing God. Now, I I might have a little bit of a surprise for you. I'm not sure where you've been for the last two and a half years, but the world's a different place. It's not the same thing that it was three years ago. It's different. It's completely different. And I talked earlier about we hear so much, we want to get back to the way things used to be. The way things that used to be are gone. They are not the same. And you hear that in every part of our world, and it's still the same in church, but our truth hasn't changed. Who we believe in and why hasn't changed, but the expression of it has changed. And if you watch the news, and if you haven't been watching the news, this is maybe news for you, but we live in this increasingly impersonal, distanced, and and increasingly mean world. And it's because of people. Things that we took for granted and trusted a couple years ago, things that we just assumed were going to be, aren't necessarily the same as they were. If you've been to a doctor or a clinic or a hospital in the last couple of years, you've noticed something. Things have changed. It's not the same experience. If you've been to a grocery store or a big box store or a hardware store, you can't count on finding the things that you've always gone and found. They're not on the same shelf. In fact, they may not be in stock at all. Things have changed. And people say, well, it's a, a problem with the supply chain or missing chips for cars. And the catch-all phrase for everything, the excuse for everything is COVID. But along with that, part of what we have to acknowledge is that people have changed. It isn't just things that have changed. People have changed. Maybe you haven't or you think you haven't. Maybe you have. But as a whole, people are different. Our world is different. Our culture and society are different. Masks We can't even see each other's faces and isolation and distancing and lockdowns and working from home and hiding behind the protective cover of social media have made people on the whole less kind, more aggressive, meaner, and for a lot of people, angrier, a lot angrier. The fruit of the Spirit as displayed by faithful followers of Jesus is more important than ever because it's more rare than ever. The world doesn't know what to do when the fruit of the Spirit is lived out in the life of a believer. Because everything else around us seems to be completely opposite of that. So the fruit of the Spirit, one more time, Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. The world doesn't know what to do with a Christ follower displaying those things. Because that's not what the world is doing. That's not where our culture is going. That's not what's happening. For a Christian, for a believer in Jesus to display the fruit of the Spirit makes non-believers a little bit uncomfortable. So so gentleness is the first one we're going to look at today. Like all the fruit, refers to our character. Gentleness refers 
to our character that should be similar to God's own character. That's why it's a fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness refers to the mildness of our character and thinking, not moldiness, not laziness, but mildness of our character and thinking. We think about things slowly in a thoughtful way, in a prayerful way. Gentleness is not just a way of being, but it's a way of thinking and seeing the people of the world around us. Gentleness is a mind that's focused on the care of other people first and foremost, because that's what Jesus did. It's a mindset that puts others first. Gentleness is power under control. Because the world says, you know what, you need to be loud, you need to be strong, you need to make a statement. Gentleness is power under control. It's strength dressed in humility. It's not laziness. It's not weakness. But like kindness, it's often mistaken for weakness. Because the people of the world don't know what to do with the fruit of the Spirit living in you. If you're quiet, if you're gentle, if you're peaceful and filled with joy, they say there must be something wrong with you. You're weak. You're not really paying attention. Maybe you're afraid. Maybe that's what's going on. But that couldn't be further from the truth. True gentleness doesn't need to prove itself. True gentleness just is the way Jesus was. See, but the bullies of the world, and they come in a lot of shapes and sizes, in the church and outside the church, in media, in politics, in your workplace, in school. The bullies of the world, see, they're loud, they're abrasive, they're rude, they're self-centered. But a Christian displaying gentleness is none of those things. And so what happens is that an angry and increasingly angry world comes back at you more with what they know, which is not gentleness. In the Gospel of John chapter 8, we read about Jesus. He's confronted by the scribes and Pharisees as he's teaching in the temple. And what they do is they bring to him a woman who's been caught in adultery. And they say, we, we know exactly what she's done. She's been caught. And that's a crime punishable by stoning Jesus. And that's true. It is a crime that is, to this day in some parts of the world, is punishable by execution. And the execution is by throwing stones at someone, typically a woman who's buried up to her waist in the ground and can't go anywhere. So these men ask Jesus, what should we do with her? She's guilty. We caught her. Now remember, we're talking gentleness, right? Twice Jesus reaches down the ground and he writes something on the ground. The Bible doesn't tell us what it is, but he writes something on the ground. And he looks up and the second time he does it, and then he simply says to them, the one of you who is without sin, you can cast the first stone. The first stone which will lead to her execution. And that was why they brought her there. We've got to understand that these scribes and Pharisees put no value on her life. She wasn't even a human being. She was just a sinner. She didn't matter to them. Putting Jesus on the spot and trying to trip him up, that's what mattered. But one by one, every one of those men walked away. A stone was never picked up. Nothing else was done to her. See, gentleness then is Jesus. As he did not embarrass the scribes and the Pharisees in their own sin. Because whatever it was that he wrote in the ground made such a statement to them that they stopped in their tracks. And rather than carry out the execution that they had brought her there for, they all walked away. Not only that, but Jesus honored and respectfully showed kindness to the simple woman. Gentleness is treating people well. 
even when they don't deserve it. That's what Jesus did. Gentleness is not what the world teaches us. I read an interesting article on this topic a few weeks ago. It talked about the current situation that we're in as a nation, and certainly you can see it around the world as well. How people are actually emboldened by social media and their own ego and their own arrogance because there's just no one to correct them anymore. There, there's, no, there's no discipline on social media. Facebook fact checkers don't really do much good in holding people accountable to the horrible things that they say. There's not a whole lot that can be done when bullies decide to be bullies. And this new trend, and, and I've seen it, I've observed it, I didn't have a name for it. And I read this and it was like, aha, all of a sudden a whole lot of things made sense. And I bet you it's going to suit you as well. You're going to understand something you've been observing. It's called spiritual narcissism. It's an increasing thing in our country, and it's an increasing at an incredible pace. Spiritual narcissism is the opposite of living in and displaying the fruit of the Spirit. Except for those people who are spiritual narcissists. See, they actually believe that they're in the right and that everyone else is wrong. They actually believe that they are more wise and more holy and more special, that God loves them in an extra way, that there's no way that they could ever be wrong, but the rest of us oddly always are. And for somehow or another, it doesn't matter the situation, God always agrees with them. They're not displaying the fruit of the Spirit, especially that of gentleness. They're not displaying kindness, and rarely do they display any joy. In fact, these folks are anything but gentle or kind. Just like the bully who is really scared and insecure, a spiritual narcissist only sees themselves and their survival as important, just like those Pharisees. They didn't care about the woman. Her death was inconsequential to them. All they cared about was being right. See, spiritual narcissists claim to love God, but their only true love is themselves. And despite that, Jesus still treated them with gentleness. Those Pharisees deserved a whole lot more than they got. But Jesus just simply wrote in the dirt, made one statement and let them walk away. That leads us to the last fruit of the Spirit, self-control. Jesus always displayed self-control. There was times when he could have done something very different than what he did. But Jesus always displayed self-control. When you go back to the Greek, the original meaning is they add more language in English to help us understand that the thought process for a Greek person reading this word would have been self-mastery or, or self-control or self-restraint. That on our own, it's a character trait that, that we work with the Holy Spirit and we don't do things that we otherwise might do. It's a character trait that gives us courage and wisdom and the willingness and the ability to say no when other people might say yes. Self-control is listed last because it's the one fruit that most closely is connected to our sinfulness. Lack of self-control is at the heart of so much of our sin. You might not think of that as a fruit of the Spirit, but it's a characteristic that we see in the life of Jesus over and over and over again. And it's a characteristic that if we're going to be like God, the only way that we can display that is through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. So self-control, very simply, is the decision to give up what you really want right now in favor of what you really, really want later on. Self-control is saying no to what you want today so that you can one day say yes to what you really, really want. Self-control is not losing sight of the long term. Self-control is not getting 
and excuse me, not getting caught up in the moment, but rather always focusing on the big picture. Self-control is the opposite of America's obsession with instant gratification. We are in a want-it-and-I-want-it-right-now culture. Fast food, Amazon two-day delivery, and if you don't get it, you're sending off an email. Hundreds and thousands of movies and TV shows on demand on our TVs and our computers, on our tablets and on our phones. We never have to be with whatever we want in the moment. If you want to get something from Amazon, you can dial it up right now and have it here in two days. We're an instant gratification world. Self-control doesn't come naturally to us. Yet self-control is what allows us to fully enjoy the hard work and the effort that we put into something that is meaningful or valuable or more significant than ourselves. It's the stuff that really matters. Self-control allows us to put aside what we want in the moment to be a part of something much bigger than ourselves. And it matters because Paul wrote to a young man named Timothy. Timothy was a young guy who had been called into ministry. He was off on his own. And Paul was often writing to encourage him. One of the things that he said in Timothy 2.7 was that God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but you need to hear this for yourself too, okay? He says to Timothy, but this is for you and I, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. God, through His Holy Spirit, has given you a spirit of power in Him. In what He can do for you and through you because of Jesus and His Holy Spirit. Not the kind of power that a spiritual narcissist or a bully would wield, but the kind of power that we have as children of a king. A spirit of love for God and for others. And finally, a spirit of self-control. You might say, fruit of the Spirit, I can't do it. I can't do it all. On your own, no, you can't. But God has already planted the Holy Spirit in you. When you say that you submit your life and you accept Jesus as your Savior, the Bible says we are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit begins to go to work in us. Which means you already have a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control through the Holy Spirit in you. And we know that like all the fruit of the Spirit, we should use it for God's glory, not our own. Think about that. You already have a spirit of power and self-control in you. If it's something that you've been trying for years to say no to, you can say no if you choose to. If you're afraid of something that's in front of you, of something you've got to do, if you're afraid of a task or a responsibility, you already have the power to do it within you. But it isn't you, it's God in you. God will carry you through whatever it is that God puts before you. And for some of us, the most terrifying thing that we could imagine is to actually admit to and talk to someone about Jesus. Admit that you're a Christian, that, yeah, on Sunday morning I kind of sneak off to church once in a while. To actually say that I believe in Jesus and this is why is a terrifying thing for so many people. And yet God calls us to do it. Because at some point along the way, Somebody told you about Jesus. In Isaiah 49.6, God says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation will reach the ends of the earth. God will make you a light to the people who are around you, not for your goodness, but so that his salvation might reach the ends of the earth. When we live out the fruit of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit reflects God in you and I, it is evidence that God is at work in you, at me, in our church, and in the world that's around us. It becomes a part of our living testimony of God's love and God's faithfulness as we work to help fulfill the great commission that Jesus spoke in Matthew 28. 
What is it? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. This morning we obeyed Jesus' command when we celebrated Holy Communion. We remembered his death and we will continue to do so until he comes again. But the first part of that phrase, what is it? Go and make disciples of all nations. We have to get up and go into somewhere that maybe isn't comfortable for us. And the only way that we can do that is in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then once we get there, what do we do? We make disciples. We teach them what it means to be a believer in Jesus and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. That's why we never leave God's Word. There's nothing that anybody else has written that's more important than what God has given us in the Bible. That is our purpose for being a church. Next Sunday, we're going to make an opportunity that we try to do three times a year here available to you to live out God's command, to live out the Great Commission in part by baptizing people and teaching them to obey all that He's commanded. Next Sunday, we are going to have an opportunity for you to be baptized. Maybe you were baptized as a kid. Maybe your parents or a grandma and grandpa loved you so much that they brought you to baptism when you were just a month old. And that's awesome. God does it absolutely right the first time. But the Bible also says that we are to believe and be baptized. That's a step of obedience. So maybe what you're thinking is it's time for you, and I would encourage you to consider this. As an adult... It's not that your baptism as a baby didn't work. God was perfect, because that's what God is. God is perfect all the time. But maybe you haven't yet taken the step of obedience and said, Jesus, I believe in you. I've given my life to you. I want to step out and be baptized, because that's what you commanded for us to do. As an adult, you're going to affirm that baptism, and you're going to make the statement that you desire to live your life for Him. So whether you've never been baptized or, or you want to affirm your infant baptism as an adult, I hope you consider joining us in obedience to Jesus' command to believe and be baptized. Those Sundays around here, they're a big party. They're a big celebration because we know there's a big celebration in heaven. There's a celebration because we acknowledge that we're sinners who are in need of a Savior. And we acknowledge that being obedient to Jesus is more important than doing what seems safe and comfortable because for grown-ups to step out in the water and be baptized doesn't always feel safe and comfortable. And yet I think that's part of the point that, that Jesus made in baptism was that we did what wasn't easy because we were going to live a life as a Christian that wasn't easy. That we were going to step forward and be obedient. So next Sunday we're, we're going to be kicking off a new series. We've spent these weeks now talking about the fruit of the Spirit, which is really our relationship with God and how we relate to other people. But the, the moment you step out into the world living in the fruit of the Spirit, you are going to face difficulty. You're going to face challenges. You're going to face people who are going to stand up against you. So we're going to spend five weeks talking about the armor of God. See, God's made a plan for us not just just survive in the world, not just to survive by being obedient to Him, but rather to thrive in Him. And the armor of God is what allows us to do that. So next week we're going to uh, start that series. We're going to have a big day of celebration. I really hope you put it on your calendars and clear out your weekend to be here. Baptisms, pancakes, there's going to be food afterwards, there's going to be music. It's going to be great weather. Why? Because we believe that living as a church family and celebrating all that God has done for us is worth throwing a party for. So that's what we're going to do. If you are ready to be baptized, talk to me, talk to one of us uh, on the staff team, let us know, call the office. We'd love to get your names down because that's a huge celebration too, here and in heaven. Let's pray. Gracious God, gentleness and self-control, those aren't easy. Sometimes we think about stepping out in faith where it is that you'd call us, whether it's 
to affirm our baptism as adults or to talk to someone about Jesus and we say, well, self-control, I'm going to play it safe. I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to keep my cards close to my chest. But God, that's not what you call us to. You, you call us to be bold in our faith. You call us to, to talk to other people about you. And God, all of us are here. All of us are listening right now because somebody cared enough about us to tell us about Jesus. And the beautiful thing, one of the beautiful things about your church is that you then invite us to be a part of that process. You invite us to keep that moving forward and to talk to other people. So whether it's us living in obedience, in celebrating Holy Communion, or living in obedience and being believing and be baptized in the name of Jesus and you, God, and your Holy Spirit, or whether it's working with your Holy Spirit to live in the fruit of the Spirit that is already in us, God, you call us to be bold Christians, to be bold believers, to be people who go out into the world and tell them about who you are and how much you love them. And God, that's the kind of church we want to be. That's the kind of Christians that we want to be. So God, thank you for what you've done for us in Jesus. Thank you for what you've given us in your Holy Spirit. And God, what we ask more than anything else is that we would learn to grow and to be better and better disciples of Jesus every day, that we would be more and more in his likeness and that we would be recognized by the world around us for being followers of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, thanks for coming. Fruit of the Spirit, it is already within you. You don't have to create it. In fact, you can't. The Holy Spirit begins to dwell within us on the moment that we accept Jesus as our Savior and we submit our lives to Him. What we do then is spend the rest of our lives exercising the fruit of the Spirit as we work with God's Holy Spirit in us, showing the world what it is that God is doing inside of us and through us. What are the two to focus on this week? Gentleness and self-control. So let's just go to self-control since that's a tough one. I challenge all of you this week, when you get to that first situation where you say yes, but you know you shouldn't, think about, ah, this is what he meant when he said self-control. You can't do it on your own. But with the Holy Spirit at work in you, absolutely you can do it. So think about self-control, how it is that you can have that self-mastery, that self-discipline that only comes from God.